just past 7 o'clock, and here we go on a Monday night. It's time for Iron Sports, 95.9, the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and a real big show getting ready tonight, uh, Ira. Um, so we had to wait a little bit longer than we usually do, but it's finally here, Ira, Masters Week. And I know you're just about as excited as anyone on the planet right now. Yeah, one of my friends who's a huge golf fan says to me, uh, I'm already sick of Masters Week. And what? I'm like, I'm, that's why I said, what? <laughs> Are you crazy? Like, this is so awesome. This I cannot imagine a Masters with this anticipation. Um, this is one that I am pumped for this. I mean, if you look at the field and you look at the players – in the field that are the favorites like yeah i'll have dustin johnson number mm-hmm. one in the world who is won everything playing lights out playing lights out i mean the last six tournaments second first second first six second uh he's the and in the masters he's been in the top 10 the last four years so but he's never won the masters and then you have a guy like justin thomas who's number three in the world one of the great great best golfers you know alive and he's not been done well in the masters the last four years but you got to think you know he's definitely a 12 to 1 favorite and then you have Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy, who in the last five years has been one of the top ten, has won all the majors. You know, he's never won the Masters yeah. either. So the Masters is the number one tournament for golf by far. This is, don't talk about the British Open or the U.S. Open or the PGA Championship. This is the tournament. And I've just named you these players. Brooks Kepka, four majors, yeah. never won the Masters. All these great players, they want to win this. I mean, if, there's a, if you said you could lose every tournament this year but win the Masters, I don't know one player, not one, no, that would, would say they would make that trade. If, I, could you, would you rather win 10 other tournaments or the Masters? Even two or three majors or the Masters, they'll take the Masters. And because it's so weird, the tournament of the last couple of years have been Tiger won it last year. Patrick Reed the year before. Sergio, who's out this year from COVID, but he won it before that. Danny Willett, who's won a once-in-a-million-years yeah. <laughs> win. Jordan Spieth, who hasn't been playing well. Bubba Watson's won it twice. Adam Scott, Charles Wurzel, Phil Mickelson. None of those big names that I just mentioned are on there. And then you layer in with Colin Marcara, Marcara who had this great start of the yeah. year, played great. He's going to be in the Masters. Matthew Wolf, we'll see. Matthew Wolf, Ricky Fowler. I mean, <laughs> we've seen Fowler. Ricky come close. Ricky's been a, a, in the top three. He's been, finished second in the Masters. He's sixty-six to one, but he's going to be in the Masters. I mean, and then you have Tiger at thirty-five to one. So. And I mean, you put Tiger. It's just, he doesn't have to be playing great to be able to take this down, Ira. So and that's what's I'm exciting I'm walking for around me. town and people say Tony Finau. Everyone likes Tony Finau. Tony Finau is their guy. He's been. He was fifth last year in the Masters. Had his chance. You know, he's with that that group with Tiger and 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 uh, Molinari and finished tenth the time before. He's twenty five to one. So a lot of people like uh, Tony Finau. You know, people like Xander Shoffley, People aren't that familiar with, but his odds are great. And then you have this great tournament. You have the Tigers. You have the Phils. You have all these players. And then we add, let's put, let's make this more exciting. Let's add something else. What could we add to this tournament? <laughs> well, how about the craziest golfer of all time? Like, let's put Bryson DeChambeau, yeah. who has gained 100 pounds, who is now hitting Apparently the ball. he's bigger now. Bigger than whatever. <laughs> hitting the ball 40 yards. Who's attempting to drive par fours at the Masters. Going to, as you said, hit other fairways. Play the tournament like it's never been played before. Who has, if we can say, oh, that's just a crazy golfer. Has no chance. But, of course, he won the, you know, just won the PGA Championship. So, <laughs> the, US Open, I mean, the U.S. Open. So, the point is, is this, you have Bryson out there who is the favorite at 8-1. to one. So you have the eight to one favorite to win this tournament. I mean, this is going to be, I, I just cannot wait for the tournament to start. You have so many storylines. Every storyline is amazing. If I, if Ricky Fowler wins this tournament, you're like, wow. That'd be massive. Ricky Fowler hasn't played well. He got his act together, did this well. Brooks Kepka, Well, you know, in the majors, Brooks comes up to great. Yeah. Justin Thomas, year, a tournament, tournament out. 
plays well. John, did I mention John Rom? John no. Rom, number two in the world, <laughs> number two in the world, and we did hardly even mention him. And with in Spain, great young uh, golfer, great young golfer, just great golfer anyway. Yeah. But who has this long career? I, I just think the storylines are there. I can totally. I do not see anyone running away with this. I literally see on Sunday in the afternoon, like eight of the top golfers in the world going not just to win a tournament, going to win the tournament. This is. Perfect. And that would be awesome. I, I'm hoping for that, too. The six, seven, eight guys all jockeying on Sunday afternoon. It should be really exciting. They are doing something weird, and I didn't realize it before, Ira. They're going to be teeing off in the 10th hole, too, which they do at some tournaments, but never at Augusta. Teeing off at the 10th hole. The timing's different. I mean, that's what makes on Saturday. They're starting earlier, like at 10, 9, and 10. They're, the, the goal is to end by 6 on Saturday, so then you go to the LSU Alabama. I mean, what? Talk about a day. Watch golf <laughs> all day. Watch college football all day. Have that on like my all my different TVs. Then I get LSU Alabama at six o'clock, which I know Alabama is a twenty-eight point favorite, but that's another thing to talk about. <laughs> and the fact the game could potentially be canceled because of COVID. But then on Sunday they're doing it early, the nine to four. That's remember last year. That's how they started. They started the tournament earlier, so they're going to start in the morning earlier and then end like at four, then start football. CBS's window for football it's reversed yeah. as it was like this year, this week it's reversed, and so now all the games will be at four o'clock just for the for the sake of not having the Masters. And then that's great what CBS did. What every, it's just, oh, I cannot wait for this. I'm so excited. <laughs> we are, our producers are attempting to get uh, Ken Kennerly on the line. He's the director of the Honda Classic. And if we can uh, touch base with him, that'd be great because he knows all about the inner workings of every golf tournament and how these guys, uh, how it's going to go down in Augusta the, this weekend. So hopefully we can get him here on Iron Sports. But Ira, let's go to horse racing. And, you know, I've said it before. Kentucky Derby might be the day for the fans, but the Breeders' Cup is what the the diehards of horse racing, they look forward to that all year, and it really didn't disappoint. It was a great, great Friday and Saturday. Yeah, it was a great, and then the classic. We had Gary Stevens on last week, and boy, did he call the race. He said, I like Tis the Law. Tis the Law, who is the Belmont winner, is the, is the best horse, but he doesn't like the two position. And then a lot of the commentators were like, well, the two position, this is a longer race. It doesn't matter. There's only 10 horses running. It's like the Derby. But what exactly happened in the race? Tis the Law got boxed in and got boxed and did not, could not run the race that he wanted to run. It was just pushed back. And Manny Franco could not pull him back. It, yeah. was, it was impossible for it. And Authentic, who, I mean, first of all, Bob Affert having a probable finish second and Authentic finishing first. And, and what made it this you know derby exciting i mean the, the breeders cup exciting was that authentic won the derby this year maximum security won the derby last year but that was taken away from yeah. so you really had the two past derby winners plus improbable plus tisla who won the belmont this year all in a race plus a great order horse called tom de tot and authentic just took that lead and just ran with it and then it's almost like at the top of the stretch you thought it was tiring but it, then it was just like resting almost almost like sat back and rest and just ran away uh, two and a quarter lanes from improbable at the end did you um, happen to take in the, um, uh, what's it called, the Breeders' Cup distaff? Yes. Because that was going to be the matchup of the two greatest girls on the planet going head-to-head. Yes, and uh, Mama Moy girl, you know, dominated. I and mean, that was an yeah. older horse compared to Swiss Skydriver won the Preakness. And uh, Mama Moy girl just proved again that, you know, she's a phenomenal horse uh, in terms of winning that. But Authentic won uh, $3.1 million plus $1 million for bonus for winning the Haskell and Derby. And uh, it was interesting. They... Um, the group that owns Authentic bought Authentic and a bunch of other horses, including Justify, for $350,000. Mm-hmm. It certainly paid off. And they sent them to Baffert and then just makes them great horses. I mean, Baffert, now all three horses retired, though. That's just so sad is that Authentic, Improbable, and Maximum Security. Tisla Law is supposedly going to still still run. But I thought the race was great. You had 
all these great horses running, and it was just neat to see how it played out. No, it, it was totally cool, and that that is one of the disappointing things, Ira. I know you know back maybe a decade or two ago, these horses would would run till they're six, seven years old, like Tom's the Todd. Now they're there to get their big wins and just retire off the stud, and that's a little disappointing for me. Right, right, right. Um, let's go to NASCAR here, and I know you've been uh, <laughs> you've been eating up the NASCAR and the Formula One lately. Yeah, I mean, this is Chase Elliott won in Phoenix. It's the final race. It was a chance between him and uh, Brad Kozlowski, Joey Logano, and Debbie Hamlin. And, and Elliott took the lead, about 45 laps to go, and won the race. You got to this final race where there's only four four people can win it. And Elliott's only 25 years old. So it's great for a sport because Jimmy Johnson, uh, the seven-time NASCAR winner, he retired. Yeah. And that was his final race. And now there's a new driver that's going to be great. And, and Elliott's not really, he's, he's probably familiar to the scene because his father, Bill Elliott, won 44 races. He won the 1988 NASCAR title. And he was won the, how about this, the most popular driver year award 16 times. Which is <laughs> that's pretty, pretty amazing. And considering driving. And so, I mean, that's great that you get that. But now uh, Lee and Richard Petty both won uh, titles and also Ned and Dale Jarrett. So this is the third father and son uh, combination that did that. And uh, it was just like, but again, I, my, my criticism of this is that Kevin Harvick, who had won nine races in the year, this should have been his, I mean, this should yeah. have been his title and the way they changed the system. I just don't think it works. I'd rather, I think you should reward winning t- races throughout the year. I like the fact that it's cumulative, but this is the way NASCAR chose to go. And that's how they're, that's how they're doing it because Elliot, that was only his fifth win. So he, he won five times in the year and Harvick won nine yeah. and Harvick doesn't, is even in the top five. And then Logano's three wins and Kozlowski four wins. So I was upset, but great win for Chase Elliott. And, they, and NASCAR has a great young driver that they can push through because a lot of their older drivers have been like Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson, Jeff Gordon have been retiring. So it's good to have have another young a driver. It's seven twelve. You're listening to Ira on Sports. This is the True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo here with uh, Ira as well. So Ira, big game tonight, and I really don't know what's going to happen in this one. We're going to see New England face off against the Jets. It's obviously division rivals. Sam Darnold's not going to play. We're going to see Joe Flacco. I think this is either going to be the total Cam Newton redemption, and he goes out and just destroys a pitiful Jets team, or he's going to be really, really bad again. I think it's going to go one or two ways. Well, I'm interested in this game. And I was it was funny. I was listening to talk radio, and they were saying, oh, this game's terrible. I can't watch it. Jets haven't won a game. The Patriots are 2-5. and five. And uh, they're nine and a half point favorites. And I'm like, I still think this game has, ex- you're intrigued because you're seeing a two and five Patriots team. Yeah. Like if you want to see it and like, if they happen to lose the Jets, this would be the ultimate loss. So like if you chose tonight, like, you know what? I'm not going to watch the game tonight. And then you wake up tomorrow and the Jets beat the Patriots. Like that would be the worst loss at Bill Belichick's career. So Bill Jeff, Bill Belichick would go down as besides Vince Lombardi or maybe equal or greater as the greatest coach of all time. This would tonight, if they lose to the Jets, the worst loss he's ever had. I, I don't know. I mean, it'd be an awful loss. But I'm not putting it past Bill Belichick to do everything he can to lose. Anything He doesn't want to face Trevor Lawrence for the next decade or two. <laughs> I'm not putting it past him, get, letting the Jets get a win. Then there'll be, what, four or five teams with, with one win, and they're not in the, the contention anymore. Bill is is the master planner, and I'm not going to be shocked if that happens. Oh, I, I don't. That is a conspiracy theory. Oh, it is. I don't know if that's going to happen. That. We will see. I mean, I think it's going to be a good game. I wouldn't touch the nine and a half points. It's just it's too risky. Like, like I said, I think this is either going to be close or 
it's going to be 40 to, to 7. You know, it, it's going to go one way or the other. This is the game last year. Remember when Sam Darnall said, now he's not playing in this game because he saw ghosts. Remember he goes, I was seeing ghosts. It was hilarious. That <laughs> was one of the greatest lines I've ever seen in the game. And it's unfortunate they, they he's play mic'd that. Up. Yeah. He's mic'd up. And they're supposed to not play things that are stupid. And it somehow got past the censors that he said he's seeing ghosts. But this is a major game. Like, this could be the final game you'll see Cam Newton start if he loses this game. So Probably. I mean, this is this is crucial for the for the Patriots, crucial for Cam Newton. And with, with the expanded playoffs and the way the Patriots play, to say they're out of the playoff mix, I, I it looks extremely bleak. But I, you're talking about Bill Belichick. So let's go to our uh, own local team, the Miami Dolphins. So I got to tell you, I'm watching all the pregames, and literally every quote analyst in the country picks the Cardinals. It's you know obviously they they're, they're going to crush them. And what do you know? Miami looks really good. Tua redeems himself, and I gain more respect for Brian Flora as a coach every single week, Ira. Well, it helps that for Tua, if he always knows that every game he plays, the defense is going to get a defensive touchdown in the first quarter. I mean, that really helps. I mean, that's really great to start the game. It's like almost they're getting their points early. That's phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I just keep starting the Miami defense. And and in fantasy, when they do in CBS Sportsline, they go, oh, Miami defense against the Cardinals. They're never going to think. But it's just an opportunistic defense. And they really, when they get the ball, they score. And that's what Brian Flores does. they don't make big mistakes. They don't make mistakes. And that that helped a lot. And then Miami was up at halftime at at, uh, 24-17. Uh, but it was. I thought this game was intriguing because of all the fourth downs. Like everyone kept going. Everyone was going on fourth down the, almost the entire game. I've never seen so many fourth down conversions until the end. But the Cardinals don't go on fourth down. It, it was. It was a great game, Ira. And just watching this team, the way they like, I, I thought they were going to be eight and eight. I thought they were going to be much improved from last year. I didn't see this coming. I think we keep this going. This is a playoff team. Well, I mean, I think the drive zone is uh, Arizona is up thirty one twenty four. Kyler Murray. I really think, I mean, after watching, I mean, watching those four o'clock games, I have the Charger Raider game on one TV. I'm at a sports bar watching that. Then, of course, the Steelers Cowboys, which I'm interested for the Steelers. And then I'm watching this game. So there's all the games came down to the final final play. And Miami gets the ball on the seven. So, you know, on the seven, down 31 24. And Tua just had that scramble on third and four. Then he scrambled that 11 yards, that scrambles in the passes, everything. It was the mix of scrambling and passing Mm -hmm. that was great. And, uh, I mean, I think that was the key. But then, Arizona get the, gets the ball back and uh, they go, you know, fourth and one, Murray gets the first down and then he gets a, and then, but on another fourth and one, that's when Chase Edmond got stopped when they went on fourth and one. And that's where I criticized what they were doing. Like why in the world Murray is unstoppable. I would just have Murray run on that. I think he's unattackable. And I thought that was a terrible play call uh, on that, on that perspective in terms of what was happening. And then the, then Arizona, I mean, uh, Dolphins drive down there, get the field goal, make it 34, 31. Carl's have cards have two minutes left. And then on third and one, on the 31, Murray has an incomplete pass. Like, why do you throw a pass right there on a third and one? And then on fourth and one, they miss a field goal. You know, they, they go for the field goal instead of trying to trying to score the touchdown there. So we do have to uh, pop over. We've got our good friend of the show, Ken Kennerly, on the line. Ken, thank you so much for taking some time out to join us. And I know you're probably uh, a little bit just as excited or even more excited about Masters Week. Oh, no doubt. It's uh... I can't believe I'm excited about Masters Week in November, but, you know, that's kind of the You there, Ken? Did we lose you? Maybe. Hello? Some... Oh. No, 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 I'm here. Okay, I'm here. yeah, we got hello, you. Hello. Phone, phone cut out for a minute. We got you. Go ahead, I. So, Sorry, guys. No, no problem. Ken, we have the uh, executive director of the Honda Classic on right now. Ken Kennerly, thanks a lot for coming on iRed Sports. Uh, Ken, just talk about your experience of going to the Masters and, and, and if you, any of the memories that you might have, because I'm sure you've been there a number of times. What's your experience of being at the Masters and seeing that tournament? 
Oh, it's, you know, arguably one of the best golf tournaments in the world, really. I mean, there, there are a handful of the great ones, and Augusta is right up with them, and it's such a magical place. And I, I must say, I've been there, I've been fortunate to have been there a few times, but I've never been there in November to watch this great <laughs> tournament. So it's certainly going to be interesting. But I think we're going to be have a great week and, you know, come, uh, you know, I, I haven't even checked the temperatures, but I, I know it's, it's hopefully going to be uh, pretty decent weather. It's just going to be a great event. I mean, I think, you know, that some, some of the top names are playing some good golf right now, and I think it's going to be very exciting to watch them come through Amon Corner, certainly on uh, Sunday afternoon. What do you think in terms of, of the seasons and, and the weather? I mean, being a little cooler, but still, it's weird. I mean, do you think there will be this effect that we'll, that we'll see will some holes play differently because it's playing in November rather than in April? Uh, will the, what changes, you know, just it's, it's hard to know. I mean, I mean you know, the golfers don't even know this, but is there anything that you might just from your uh, just following golf figure that some differences could be? No, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure from an agronomical standpoint, meaning, you know, the agronomy and the, and the grasses, I think it's going to play differently that way. I have not uh, heard any anything specifically about the speed of the greens. However, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be your, you know, your great Augusta, you know, 13, 14 on the step meter. I think the one noticeable difference is I don't think you know, even Augusta might not be able to pull this off. I don't think the azaleas are going to be in bloom <laughs> like they are in April. Although if there's a, ever a place that could pull it off, it would be Augusta National, of course. But, you know, they're, uh, they've got, what, members and a spouse, I understand, will be on property, and that's pretty much it. And, of course, the, uh, the professional golfers. We're going to have an early finish on Sunday, and you know, everyone listening should be aware of that. I mean, you know, CBS goes into the NFL world at 4 o'clock. The Augusta National, uh, the, the, the telecast on CBS will start, I believe it's 10 a.m. on Sunday. Uh, with a with a uh, 3 p.m. close, um, giving them an hour in case they have to have a playoff. So yeah, things are everything's pretty different this year. And and of course, you know, this is the the, the year where Tiger's defending his last Masters Championship. So I think that's going to be um, you know very special as well. Overall, it's going to be a very special, very unique, very different week. But you know, we're in a different time of the world, and you know, never nothing ceases to amaze any of us anymore. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think the close and working with uh, CBS in terms of the timing, when I heard the Masters going to be in November, I'm like, how are they going to do that with football and with the fact that it gets sun, the sun goes down at 6 o'clock? And I just think it was great that CBS was able, and the, you know, it had have a combination between CBS, the NFL, and the PGA all, are, all work together to put this off. And, I, it, and it benefits everybody. So I thought that was great that they all worked together to do that. Well, I think Jim Nance will be at Augusta, right, as opposed right. to being with Tony Romo in the CBS booth for this one week. But, you know, certainly understandable. But, you know, I, I think the other the other storyline coming out of this is what is Augusta going to do in April? I mean, here we are planning for the Honda Classic, and I want to talk a little bit about that, too, if you guys have a minute. But, you know, what, what are they going to do in April? I mean, we're kind of in a, a pandemic situation right now. I don't think anyone realized this would go on as long as it has. And I think there's going to be a lot of questions um, as to what they might do come April. And I don't think we're going to get any answers this week. But, you know, this will certainly be a precursor to an event, what, five months away. So it's, um, it's, it's going to be fascinating, I think. One more Masters question, and then we'll jump to the Honda. But I have to ask about Bryson DeChambeau in terms of what he's trying to do with the, the Masters and, you know, hitting the ball 400 yards every on every hole. I mean, at what point is – I mean, this is going to – you just have to be intrigued to see how, he, how he's going to attack this course and whether he can win, really, by attacking the course like that. Well, I, I got to tell you, I was so impressed. Well, I think we're all impressed with – Bryson DeChambeau in a number of different ways, but you know the way he entered the U.S. Open, the strategy he employed there, 
you know, early week, I'm not sure many people kind of got into it, but if you remember, he said, look, I'm just going to hit the ball as far as I can at Wingfoot. The rough is brutal. I'd rather hit a wedge out of the rough than hitting a seven. And that's exactly what he did. And he won by, you know, how many shots, six shots, seven shots, something like that. And, you know, the strategy at Augusta, while they don't have that big rough, he's going to be bombing it. And that's always been a bomber's golf course. And, you know, uh, I, I think it'll be fascinating to come down. But as as it is every year at Augusta National, I think the greens and the short game chipping around the greens, when you miss greens, balls are going to roll off greens. I think it's going to be um, – it's not necessarily a, a, a spot where I'm just going to roll up and give it to Bryson Danchambeau because, again, it takes a hell of a short game to um, maneuver and to be successful at Augusta National on those greens. Right. And then the transition to the Honda, I always was watching Bryce and I'm thinking, how would he do at PJ National? Because I don't I don't think he's played at the Honda yet, has he? I don't think he's played at the tournament. Yeah, he has, actually. We gave him an exemption early year because we have a great partnership with Cobra Puma. And, of course, he's a Cobra Puma guy, he and Ricky and a few other guys, Gary Woodland and some others. Um, so, yeah, we gave him an exemption a few years ago. Uh, unfortunately, due to the schedule, he hasn't come back. I have seen him. A few times, and he's like, "Look, I know I got to get back to PJ National. That's a golf course I think I can, you know, win on." Now, you know, he said that to me before he started hitting 400-yard drives. Um, but if he can hit it straight and hit it 400 yards at PJ National, it's you know, like every other golf course he plays, it's a it's a different different game altogether. But you know, we're we're coming together. I mean, we're going to have another great tournament. We're still working with the PJ Tour every few weeks as to. You know what the uh, build out uh, is going to you know provide us. Um, we know we're going to have a full pro am. We know we're going to have spectators. But you know right now it's just going to come down to how many, and you know where can we properly socially distance and you know make sure that we're uh, in compliance with the PGA Tour. And it's not just the compliance with the state of Florida, which as we know is pretty wide open right now, but it's compliance with the PGA Tour. So we need to sit with them as we have been and just work through our, our game plan. This year we're you know, it's the first of three years where we're in the middle of March because there's one less week before Augusta National. So we're going to sit right after the Players' Championship. will be St. Patty's Day week, which will be fun in Palm Beach County. <laughs> also spring break. So I think we're going to have a uh, different, not different, I think we're going to have a lot of newcomers uh, to the tournament, uh, people that are down in South Florida for spring break because we certainly, you know, offer people a great alternative you know, one or two days to come out to the tournament for those people that have not done so in the past. So it's going to be a great, great another great week. We're going to have, um, you know, I, I, I believe our field will be a little bit more improved from the prior few years based on our schedule, uh, being after players and before match play. And we get away from that, you know, four or five in a row coming off the West Coast, which has kind of hindered us the last few years. So I think overall we're going to have a, a real good event. And, in terms of the, uh, you know, what it looks like and the build that looks like, that's still up in the air based on our conversations with the PGA Tour. But you know, certainly once we have an idea of what it's going to be, we'll communicate it to everybody. And, you know, I, I suspect it'll be less less opportunity, less tickets for, for, for fans to come. So fans are going to have to react, you know, a little quicker because, uh, you know, as all events we're now seeing, I mean, we're going to be on easily a very, very much a sellout basis. We just came off Houston this past week with 2,500 fans, and you know, I know California and, and uh, Hawaii and some of the others are a little bit more closed down than Florida. So we'll, we'll have, you know, we'll certainly have a lot more than that, but it still goes to be uh, to uh, seeing and discuss with the tour as to the final number that we're going to have. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about 
the field that you could have. And and you talk about all people saying, oh, we know all the top golfers in the world live in Palm Beach County, and they all live here, but then they, you know, it's, it doesn't fit in their schedule. But in order during this year, you know, this whole thing of COVID, to be able to play in a tournament and sleep in your own house and not travel and go and stay in your own house, I, that has got to be a benefit and draw people to the tournament because you, you, you don't really have the whole travel and all the other risk you do uh, from, from, you know, the COVID traveling. You, you just stay at your house and go play golf and then go back home to your bed. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're right. That, along with the schedule change, you know, we 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 didn't take the schedule change lightly. We we spoke. I personally spoke with you know the top dozen, fifteen players in the world, and uh, kind of laid out the two options that we might have had for a schedule. And, and they all 100 uh, percent thought that you know going after the players' championship, getting away from that L.A., Mexico, Florida, you know, so on and so forth. It's just too many in a row. So, you know, we think we're going to be in a better spot. And to your point, I think players are going to, you know, it's going to be a little bit easier for them to, you know, roll out of bed and come down to the tournament as opposed to, you know, look, we're, we're still going to have testing. All the players are going to be tested. The caddies will be tested. The pro-am participants will be tested as they've done on the Champions Tour and the Corn Ferry Tour and most recently on the PGA Tour. So all that's going to be in place, but you know, to your point, it's a little bit easier when you're staying in at home, you know, no further away than you know maybe a 20 mile drive for a lot of these guys. So uh, I, I think from that perspective, we're going to have a phenomenal tournament. We're going to have another great broadcast on the Golf Channel and NBC. It'll go around the world. It'll continue to promote Palm Beach County and all our neighboring counties in South Florida. You know, at a great time in middle of March when. Um, when um, you know our weather is perfect and you know people are looking on us with envy uh, as they always do and, you know when you're up north yeah, and I, again, I know you're you're so involved in terms of golf and, and not just the Honda Classic, but you just got to give credit to the PGA Tour and everybody involved, including you, in terms of how golf has managed this, in terms of getting the tournaments off, starting early, even the the the, the, tournament, the thing they had at Medalist and Seminole with Tiger and, and, and Justin Thomas and those guys getting involved in that. But everything has been done well. And you look at golf's ratings, and the ratings have been fantastic. And you look at the ratings for the NBA and the NHL and baseball, and you know, the ratings are terrible. Uh, football's pretty strong. Strong and still great, great, but it's it's it. You know, golf was able to weather very difficult challenges, and I think have has come out from this stronger than ever. Well, they were. I mean, we were involved with the management uh, of the Timber Tech Championship, you know, two weeks ago down at Boca, and, and while we had no fans down there, you know, the ratings were good. We had a great champion in Darren Clark. Um, you know, the, the TV show itself speaks volumes for what, you know, what South Florida is all about. So <clears throat> that went well. The To your point, you know, I think the viewership is good. Uh, people, the, the game of golf, honestly, if it's been healthier in the last 20 years, um, uh, or I should say it has not been healthier uh, in the last 20 years than it is now because, you know, COVID has certainly brought so many people outside. We can so properly social distance. People are, are finding the game of golf again if they used to be players. And there are a lot of first-timers out there. So, you know, everything in the game of golf right now is uh, is moving ahead very, very well. And, you know, let's just hope we can keep that momentum going both in the in the play, the uh, number of rounds and the courses, and just keep all that business. And, of course, you know, when the, when the uh, you know, the, the pros come to town, whether it's the Champions Tour two weeks ago or Honda Classic here shortly, and, of course, the LPGA, and, you know, things are, things are going well. Well, Ken, thank you so much for coming on on such short notice. But I, I want to get your impressions in terms of the Masters and, and you know, giving us you know, some update in terms of what's going on with the Honda Classic. So thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports. 
Well, I am looking forward to uh, the Masters as everybody is later this week, and I don't care if it's in April or November. Just watching that beautiful <laughs> golf course and watching the – we're going to have a great Sunday back nine as we always do at Augusta. Just be a little different time of the year, that's all. But thanks, guys. Appreciate it, as always. Ken Kennerly, always a great guest here on Ira on Sports, and you can also learn more about the Honda Classic right now, thehondaclassic.com. So, Ira, I feel like a lot of people in the media – are very wishy-washy, and they don't own their mistakes. We own our mistakes on this show if we say something incorrect. So we've been hearing this narrative that the Buccaneers are, are the best team in the NFC, that they're just going to, you know, we're going to see them in the NFC Championship game. They're probably going to the Super Bowl. Now it's completely flipped from last night after they got drubbed by the Saints, 38-3. to I don't, you know, one of those things that if you, like, lose a game, you'd rather, like, lose... Like, would you rather lose by one point on a, a like, the, like the Clemson Notre Dame game? Yeah. Or would you rather know it's over in the first quarter? <laughs> <laughs> like that was just, I mean, you, I don't think, I mean, that's worse. I was comparing it to the San Francisco Green Bay game last year. The playoff game where they're not yeah, the, both the, of them. The, both the regular season, but even yeah. the regular season game where you're like, so in, you're anticipating, like there's blowouts in sports and you want to expect blowouts in sports every now and then. you expect blowouts when one team's better. But in this type of game, when the Bucks were the favorite in the game coming in yeah. and you're looking forward to this great game and you've been told Antonio Brown and Rob Gronkowski and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Tom Brady and Leonard Fournette and you look at a team and they score and and the talk is should they have kicked the field goal because they did not get a shutout. I mean when it when that team with all that firepower can only score three points and I love this team and I love I was so intrigued. You know, the question is Antonio Brown is he just I mean a is, it, is it just a disaster? I mean I mean, could you, I mean I just don't know but it was it was it hit their first drives. They had the ball. This is their, their first, like, six possessions first half. Three plays minus one yards. Three plays two yards. Three plays seven yards. Two plays interception. Eight plays 37 yards. Three plays interception. In the first half, they had the, the Saints 18 first downs, the Bucks five, and they were outgained almost 300 to 100, which I was shocking. Yeah. They gained 100 yards. I don't know how they were able to do that. And the, as they're not doing anything on offense – their defense, which was played great up until now, was a disaster. And the Saints really could. I mean, there were plays the Saints ran and wide open. I mean, there were the, yeah. the, 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 the Saints players were just running around. Like, the Bucks D has been very good, too. The Bucks looked like they were playing with nine players. Like, I, th- I was waiting for them <laughs> to say, oh, they, they were short on the field. They had nine or ten players. It was just, it was insane in terms of what was going on. Sean Payton's game plan was just perfect. And like I said, you could tell after two series that this is going to be a long night for the Bucs. Yeah, you know, you could even tell at the beginning of the second half. So, okay, it's 31-0 or 28, you know, it's 30, you know, let's see what happens in terms of coming back. And <laughs> so Shaq Barrett for Tampa forces the Saints to fumble, mm-hmm. forces on the on the first possession. They go down to get first and goal on like the two or three yard line, and they can't score. They can't score. <laughs> I mean, this team can't score. I mean, it was just a disaster. Total, I mean, Tom Brady, I love him to death at three interceptions. I mean, he was upset. But a couple, you know, again, the whole Antonio Brown, like he caught a couple balls and he looked great catching them. Looked fast. Look, I just, I'm not ready to say the Bucks are. I just think this is a team that just needs more time to practice and more. I'm going to see the middle of the season. I'm not ready to. If I'm like on a stock, I'm not selling the Bucks yeah. right now. But that was a terrible, terrible loss. You think uh, you put the um, Saints as a top? top seed in the NFC right now? You think you have the Packers there? Because we've seen the Packers have some bad losses as well, and and uh, the Saints. I'm going to still say Tampa's in the Super Bowl. I, I really do. All I'm right. not going to go – I'm not going to waver because I, I, I've seen Green Bay struggle – if you're going to give me Seattle, when we saw Seattle this they weekend, we're going, to, we're going to get back to them. <laughs> and, and and they couldn't, they, you can't, they play no defense at all. Yeah. Screen Bay struggles. I just don't see if you're, if, if the choice is not Tampa Bay, then you're going to say it's, it's New Orleans. 
Yeah. And and which I, I would say now they beat them twice, and that could be the team that does it. But I still think I still like Tampa Bay. I, I just, I'm not sold that New Orleans is so much. I mean, New Orleans started the year beating the Bucks, and they lost to Vegas and the Packers, and they went four in a row. So now they're playing great, and they're and they got Michael Thomas back, which certainly helps when you have oh, Michael yeah. Thomas. I mean, people were saying, oh, well, they have other people. If you don't have Michael Thomas, the best wide receiver in football, you put him in the game, even at he's just getting his feet wet in terms of getting used to it, been out like four games. But you saw the difference that helped in their offense But uh, with Kamara. But I do like it. Look, I think we might have seen the two teams that will play in the championship game. It's 734, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So Ira's all decked out in his Steelers gear today. Only undefeated team in football, 8-0, but... Ira, you had to be a little bit worried at some point in that game. The Cowboys have just been terrible, and I got to tell you, they came to play. It, it didn't look like they were throwing in the towel. Well, they started Garen Gilbert, who had been with the team <laughs> for like a week, and it was from SMU. And then it was like the Steelers just – but I, the Steelers do this. Like I, I think you're not surprised because as a Steeler fan, lifelong for uh, decades – this is what they do. They don't play well against bad teams. They yeah. never, on the road, they have lost. When the Steelers, you know, people were making fun. The Steelers, for four out of six years, really for six years, were the most dominant football team by far maybe we've ever seen, more than even the Patriots. But they never started out like 8-0, and 9-0, because they would lose games. They would lose the games. They used to go to San Diego and always lose to Dan Fouts. And the like, the Steelers, <laughs> they're just they're in their motive. They just always seem to lose to bad teams. And this was... This could have been a disaster. It I mean, could it have was, been. <laughs> I mean, the weird thing was at the end of the first half, some of these plays, the Steelers drove, you know, down 13 nothing, and then Ben comes and hurts his knee. Like, and then you think he tore his ACL. This is he's like limping around like when that yeah. play when Steve McNair had to be carried down the field. He couldn't even move, but he finishes, he finishes out. He finishes the uh, the the drive out. They score a touchdown. Then he runs in the locker room, and then <laughs> CD Lamb fumbles the ball, like the classic <laughs> Dallas thing. So then they have to put Mason Rudolph in the game to get the field goal, and then Chris Boslow kicks the longest field goal in the history of the Steelers, a 59-yard <laughs> field goal. Now I was at the game. Uh, two years ago when they were at Oakland and he went in the locker room early and then remember that was the game where he had to get an MRI it was too late to get the MRI to come back that's why he didn't go mm-hmm. to the game because the MRI machine didn't work well clearly the MRI machine works in the AT&T Stadium because he was back out there for the second half and his knee looked I mean he, he limped, had a little limp but we haven't heard of any you know any major injuries from that but uh, but it was like one of those things where it was like it was crazy. I mean, they got there was at that point where the Cowboys drove down and they got it down to the five yard line. You know, on that they did that crazy pass on mm-hmm. the on the on a kickoff where yeah, the Steelers he, scored and they threw the player it across faked the field. injury, so yes. it looked like he was uh, just kind of walking, walking off. Down, you know, and then they threw it threw it down the field across the field and they get down to the five and Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, talk about. I mean, if you had Minka Fitzpatrick, he's all over the place. If he was still on the the Dolphins right now, they'd be intercepting three, four balls a game because he is the most opportunistic player. As someone, it's just wherever the ball is, he is. He is phenomenal at getting interceptions, everything. And then the Steelers were driving down, but Ben had that fumble. You know, he had a fumble where they knocked him down and they got the ball and ran in for a touchdown. That could have been the end of the game in the fourth quarter, but it was illegal contact on the were like a holding, defensive mm-hmm. holding that helped him out there. And then Ben scored. We went up 24-18. But then the Cowboys were stopped on the weird thing. People were criticizing. I saw Rex Ryan today on first take or whatever on ESPN going crazy about the Steelers because they were stopped on fourth down. And then the Steelers got down to the Cowboys' 15-yard line with 43 seconds left on fourth and one. They ran Connor, and Connor gets tackled. So now you're giving the Cowboys 
43 seconds to drive down the field and they're down five instead of scoring. Like what I don't understand is like, should we kick the field goal and gone up eight and then just giving the Cowboys the ball on like the 40 yard line to score down? Like I thought it was a smart, like the worst case scenario is what happened is that you let them get the ball on the 15 yard line with 43 seconds and no timeouts left. And Rex Ryan is like stupidest thing I've ever heard. I can't stay in analytics for this, but I'm like, no, I mean, I, I just don't understand it. Like, why would you, I would rather be up five and with them have the ball at the the 15 then to have you know to try then what could go wrong on a field goal they had already blocked the field goal i thought it was a smart move from the steelers like i would do it 100 times out of 100 well either way they they didn't get the win moved on to 8-0 and they are they're looking pretty good despite not being their greatest game uh, yesterday against a bad cowboys team so i was calling russ i mean i was calling um josh allen russell wilson light for the first four games of the season then he came back to the earth and now, Ira, yesterday, it was he was incredible. And give some credit to the defense and, and uh, McDermott's game plan. I've never seen Russell Wilson look that uncomfortable. It was very weird. What a, what a crazy game. And now, of course, when you're in fantasy going against Josh Allen and he has 400 yards, uh, only, it, was, it was like a Justin Fields-type game for Ohio State, 31 for 38. So he had it, seven incompletions, and he had three touchdowns, 400 yards. Uh, amazing, you know, 300 yards in the first half. And I mean, they jumped out this huge lead, and you, they got up so far ahead that there was no way th- that the Seahawks could come back. And every time they got down there, I mean, Russell Wilson threw two interceptions. And Russell Wilson's strength is, I don't turn the ball over, don't make mistakes, but throwing these interceptions in the end zone. And they were bad interceptions. Like, I was texting you that one time. I was like, what is he throwing? That was terrible. But McDermott, and I got to give McDermott credit. I mean, his when they have the lead, they're like 23-1 and one under Bills under McDermott, 23-1 and one when leading at the halftime. That's a great, I wonder, that has to be the best record in the league 23 and one at halftime so um but it was like it wasn't even close i mean they won 44 34 but it was really like one of those games where you're like they're too far ahead i don't think seattle unless buffalo was going to make some major mistakes seattle was never coming back in that game no a- absolutely it was not what i was anticipating um like i said i just never seen russell wilson look a- uh, uncomfortable he's always joe cool and he was they had him, like, reeling. It was just really strange to me. Yeah, you know, it's like I'm looking at the MVP of this year. I know the MVP is not the biggest thing, but you're watching, like, four candidates. So, like, Brady, if he was stayed hot, would have been one of the candidates. Russell Wilson, of course, is in, in the mix. Aaron Rodgers had a good week, so now he sort of elevates himself, and Patrick Mahomes elevates himself. So you're... I, you know, like, in the end of the day, I think Mahomes is going to win. Like, I think he's going to win it because I just think he's going to, if he stays healthy, he's just going to throw these 400-yard games, and, and it's going to be between Rodgers and Mahone. Because Wilson, who I thought was sort of like two games ago in the driver's seat, but then the Arizona game and now this game, just two bad games in a row. No, absolutely. And then uh, going to the Ravens and Colts, a lot of people thought this game was going to be really close. I think the line was just like a point. And I didn't know why. The Colts, to me, just seemed like a fake 5-2 and two at the time. I know the Ravens haven't been playing up to the Ravens' standards, but I still thought they were the better team, and it really showed yesterday. It showed, but I didn't think the Ravens played well. They didn't play great. I, I watched it, and they were – so I was one of those – I was watching almost every single one of the games. The, the Colts were up 7 nothing, and then the pick, Ravens got a pick 6. But on the first three possessions, the Ravens, like, this offense is just – there is something missing. They are not, it's not fine-tuned, rolling, like, at the, it's like they've gone off the rails a little bit in terms of what they're trying to do. And, uh, and then the second half, uh, they, you know, they scored 17 points. The Colts did nothing on offense. I mean, their offense is just a disaster. Philip Rivers was bad. They, he was bad, and they could not get anything. I mean, the Ravens had 156 yards passing and 110 yards running, which is half of what, like, Josh Allen probably <laughs> did in the game. And the point, and, and they still win the game 24-10 because the Colts can't get, I agree with you. I just, it, the Colts are 5-3, and three, they might make the playoffs. I, they don't scare me at all. Like, I, I can't imagine the Colts winning a playoff game, like, in a game no. that matters. And, I, and it was like, with the Ravens 6-2, and two, 
they got to they got to figure this out. They, they're just they're, they're they're having problems, and Lamar Jackson does not look like Lamar Jackson of last year. No, he he just doesn't. I mean, I don't know what how he's regressed, but it, him throwing the football is like almost a liability right now. Whereas last year he was just amazing. Um, speaking of amazing, the Kansas City Chiefs, Ira, to me, are like one of those really good basketball teams that they know they're good and they'll let Memphis have a 20-point lead in the third quarter, and then it's like, all right, you guys want to start playing? And they just blow the t- blow their opponent out from there. Russell, I mean, uh, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they're like that to me. They don't even seem serious half the time, and then they just show up and dominate. Well, I think it's not that they, you know, I don't, it's weird. They don't, they're not blowing the teams out. It's almost like they're letting the game stay close and they're winning at the end. Now, it's, it's extremely dangerous. We saw that in playoffs last year when they let Tennessee get that huge yeah. lead. But it's almost Houston like, too. it's like they feel that they can just do whatever they want and they score. And, and when you watch them, they're the most exciting team to watch because you're like watching and there's players going everywhere. Like they'll start, it's like almost the Canadian Football League. Like they'll snap the ball and some players will be running left, some will be running right, some will be running like the other way. Yeah. Like it's like so confusing and like and Mahomes is just the master at this entire thing and then you have Travis Kelsey like a game like this like people forget about him and then we just talked about it the best tight end in the league I mean 10 catches for 150 yards and it's like he's open on every play and they just throw it to him and it's like you cannot stop if you say okay we're gonna stop Travis Kelsey then Tiger Hill goes and, and has an amazing game and he's the best one of the best wide receivers and he's so fast and you can't cover him and you have all the Hartman and then you have the running backs in terms of Lavian Bell and Clyde Edwards Hiller they just have so many weapons and then you have the great as long as you have all these weapons, you have this great quarterback who knows how to use them, and their defense is like plays that whenever they feel like they need a big play, they get it. But again, they play on the edge, like they almost want to keep the games close because they just they don't they just enjoy being in close games. Yeah. But I mean, as a Steeler fan, like the Steelers are great, we're rolling, but I'm nervous to play the Chiefs. Like I don't oh, think yeah. we could beat them. Like I think they're so good. Like I think they can really like they can name the score. Like they, on the Super Bowl, you want they want the 49ers to get ahead of us, we'll come back and win that. Like they enjoy playing close games where they don't really have to play close games. It, 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 yeah, it's bizarre. And like I said, it, to me, it's like watching like the big three when it was just like, well, we can just take over and win this whenever right. we want. Russell Wilson, throw, I mean, Patrick Mahomes throwing like behind the back passes before that. They're, it's very fun to watch. But yeah, if I was a fan, it would give me palpitations every weekend. Um, let's talk about Tennessee and the Bears. Tennessee needed a win um, after two bad losses in a row. And they got it. And they didn't look great, but they look good. And the Bears, uh, this team, I don't know how they were five and two at one point. <laughs> well, again, this is they're, I think Tennessee is like the Ravens now because the uh, they didn't get, Henry had twenty one carries for sixty eight yards. They could not get anything going. Tannehill wouldn't play well. Their offense. I mean, they only had two hundred and twenty eight yards for the game. Like that, they won the game with two hundred twenty eight yards, and their defense played. Oh, good at the beginning. I mean, they're up 10 nothing, and the Bears are doing nothing. And then one time in the third quarter, like, you thought, well, this game could be a little close. It's 10 nothing. Foles fumbles the ball. Tennessee runs back for a touchdown. So it's 17 nothing. You're like, they're never losing this game. Like, there's no yeah. way on earth the Bears are going to score 21 touchdowns. And Foles always makes it interesting in the fourth quarter. I mean, they should just start the game. Like, let's put the score at 17 nothing in the fourth <laughs> quarter and have Foles try to come back. Because that's what it is. But it was like, again, Tennessee, what's happening to them? What's happening to Baltimore? These two teams, I mean, they play the Steelers. Both these teams play the Steelers. Look what happens after play the Steelers just totally look terrible after playing I think the Steelers must hit so hard that's what causes the problems (laughs) oh um let's talk about Vegas and and LA the Chargers man do these guys find ways to lose games or what it's I don't want to blame Anthony Lynn completely because he's got good game plans they go out there he's got Justin Herbert looking like a world beater and then the wheels just fall off on this team Ira I feel so bad for them well I think I don't think the wheels fall off but they 
They, I mean, their losses have been they, – so they beat Cincinnati. They lost to Kansas City in overtime when that game was theirs to have. So they lost that. So they lose to Kansas City in overtime. They lose to Carolina 21-16 with the ball final possession. They, had, they, they lose to Tampa Bay 38-31 with a chance to win that game. They lose to New Orleans in overtime, another overtime yeah. loss, 30-27. to They lose to Denver. They beat Jacksonville by 10, which is an easy thing. Then they lose – they had the last possession on the Denver. That game was like on the last play of the game. They lost to Denver with the, the pass – that, that locked through last mm-hmm. week, 31 by one point. And this week they have the ball down. <laughs> they have the ball down at the four yard line, first and goal at the four with a few seconds left. And they had two great chances to throw it and they throw it to Mike Williams and he's up with the ball and holding the ball. And I thought he scored into the last second. He drops it. Then they have another chain. They, they threw it to Parham. So he catches it and they roll it a touchdown. And then they look again. And it's the same type of fade route. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, the ball came out. So they really had it. They they've now, how would you, I don't know if a team can lose on the final play. This must be four games they've yeah. lost on the final play of the game. And two of them, they had three score leads at one point. I, I feel bad. I feel bad for Justin Herbert because he should be racking up some wins. Man, he looks impressive, though. He and looks impressive. Now you have Herbert, you have Tua, and Burroughs. You have the three quarterbacks that we talked about going into this year, and they're all looking great. So. Yeah, they are. It, it's a good time for the league. So I, I really liked two games this week, Ira. One, I liked the Giants getting three points. I thought that was a little bit of a mistake. And then I'm looking at the Thursday night game. The Packers were only giving a touchdown to the 49ers. The 49ers are worse than a practice squad right now. They're like a high school unit out there, and the the Packers rolled them. It wasn't as close as the 34-17 score. No, I mean, that was a bad game for television. I was, again, it was, the 49ers are 49ers in name only. I mean, they're four They're the five. 29ers or something Yeah, right they, <laughs> they are not the team. I mean, they're starting, now everybody's going to be out. Kittles is out. Garoppolo's out. And again, this whole Garoppolo thing, I, I want to get on this. The, Max Kellerman's like, says, well, when Garoppolo's healthy, he's this great quarterback. He's never healthy. No. Like, it's, there's a, there's a point where we can't say the guy can't stay healthy. I mean, you, you criticize, like, someone like Eli Manning. Eli Manning never missed a game. Eli Manning never got hurt. Like, these Peyton Manning doesn't get hurt. These players don't get hurt. The, being available is the most important thing. Yeah. And Jimmy Garoppolo cannot get through. I mean, it's not like he misses a game right here. He cannot get through a season. Do not tell me that, oh, if the Patriots kept him, everything would be fine. He'd be hurt. They, remember, he's now missed. He's just play, he's, let, he's played like 40% of the games since he's been at San Francisco. No, you're right. And a lot of people are saying he's going to be out, Ira. I don't know if I believe that. I don't think Kyle Shanahan completely trusts him. And I think that he would upgrade if, if available. I don't know. What do you think about Jimmy G's future? I think he stays with San Francisco, but I think you still have the people like Max Kellerman who keep thinking, oh, he's so great, he's so great. But if he's, He hasn't if done it, anything great. But I hate the idea. Well, he made it to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. But the point is, they didn't. he didn't throw any balls. I mean, he yeah, ran, ran the ball. The ball. Yeah, all the time. But I, I hate when people say, if he's healthy, if he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, if, if uh, you know, like if... <laughs> No, if Jim Brown was still running football, he'd be great running back. I mean, it's just like it's not Vero Campbell. Like, if there's a lot of ifs, ifs, and is, it's not happening. He's not healthy. He has proved that he can't stay healthy. So I don't understand why we keep putting him as this elite quarterback when he's not playing the games. No, I agree with you uh, completely. So what uh, what are we checking out this week? You know, I think it's a little weak in terms of, of the games. Like, there's, like, Thursday night, Indianapolis at Tennessee. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Everyone about, loves a good AFC South We talked South about matchup. two games that two teams that are just not producing anything offensively. I, I mean, you want to that, – that's the game. And then uh, Tampa at Carolina. I mean, Bridgewater's played well. We didn't mention him when we discussed the game. But this is a game where I'm just excited to see what Tampa could possibly do and get their offense going. And Buffalo at Arizona, I think that would probably be the marquee game. That's a good game. game, yeah. So I think that's the marquee game. Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, uh, of course because Pittsburgh's going to keep trying to, you know, 
break the Dolphins record and, and not lose any games, which I find impossible to think as, as much as I'm a Steeler fan. And then next Sunday night, I was at this game last year, but it was at Baltimore. When New England was at Baltimore, and this was sort of when Lamar Jackson, that was when the sort of, the, the, I don't know, the uh, changing of the tides or whatever, because that's when um, Baltimore destroyed New England. And that's when, because when the year started, when New England beat Pittsburgh last year, people were like, New England's this. And then Baltimore's this up-and-coming team. And when that was a destruction, and you're like, wow, New England is not good and Baltimore's going to be great. And that's sort of that, that, you know, that was the game. And now it's, you know, completely a mess with New England. It's 750. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So let's go to NCAA, Ira. And uh, we've got some rankings here. No surprise, we're going to see Bama at the top. And Notre Dame, big win. They're going to show jump up to number two yeah you know i i put the rankings up because it's interesting to know what where we're at right like halfway through the season or whatever you want to call what mark we are but Bama's number one uh they didn't play this past week notre dame's number two ohio state's number three and clemson's number four and really those are the four teams that should be in the college football playoff because i'm expecting that clemson comes back and beats notre dame but that win that notre dame had i think puts them in that game as long as they win the rest of their games and I just don't see – it's hard for Texas A&M, who's already lost to Alabama, even if they have one loss, I don't see them breaking in there. Florida has a chance. Now, Florida could beat Al- – Florida could win the SEC East and then beat Alabama, so Florida has a chance. But then you have teams like – you know, what's interesting about the polls, Cincinnati is 7, BYU is 8, Coastal Carolina 15, Marshall 16, SMU 19, uh, Liberty 22, Louisiana 25. You have, you have seven – uh, non-power five teams that are in the in the top twenty-five, which we've never seen at that number ever before. And then you see Miami sitting there at number nine. So that's you know Miami's sort of in the mix. Mm-hmm. But Miami has to get up. Miami's problem is they have to get in the mix of playing in that championship game uh, where they can play either Notre Dame or Clemson, and that's going to be difficult in terms of getting up into that into that mix. Indiana at number ten, and then Oregon as a as a Pac-12 team. Oregon might win their seven games. Would that be enough to get into even if they're undefeated to get to beat a no, one lost Notre Dame team? So I really think you know when you're looking at it right now as of today, it's going to be Bama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson in 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 the NCAA's in the, in the, the playoffs. So let's talk about that Clemson Notre Dame game. Ira, I love when you get really fired up about something. And you're fired up about something with this game more than I've seen you in a long time. And it has nothing to do with the score. <laughs> let's, let's talk about it. Well, look, rushing the field. And, I, you know, I, I always like to say let's talk about what's on the field. I don't talk about, like, off the field as much. But, but rushing the field, I support fans rushing the field. I think it's great that they rush the field. It's great. The SEC doesn't allow it. The other teams do it. I do have my concerns that when you rush the field that the other team has to get off the field, whether it's in basketball or whatever, because you don't want to see all these crazy, drunken college kids running on a field with the other players who are in football helmets who knows that, like, if a kid comes up to an athlete, nothing will happen to the kid or something will happen or get suspended, whatever. But mm-hmm. if it comes to the, the player shoves him back, that's a story. And they're wearing a helmet. And it really is not a good mix to have players on a field with other people running. So I do think there has to be better procedures in place. You know, the other problem about rushing the field is – there is a level of what you believe you are as a school that yeah. you don't rush. Like if Penn State played Temple and they won in an amazing game at the end of the game, I don't expect the Penn State players to rush the field. Of we beat Temple. Not. But if Temple beat Penn State and you're at Temple and it's a big win, then you get to rush the field. You're Notre Dame. 
You have the most, you're the most storied football program. I find it hard. Like, I know these players. I know they've been good well. I just still, there's a little bit of me about the rushing the field if you're Notre Dame. Like, I don't think Alabama fans rush fields. Like, I don't think they rush fields anymore. Like, you're Alabama. Like, who are you going to rush yeah. the field? Like, I don't care. Like, you're <laughs> you gotta, the number you one the team. Jaguars. Like, your idea <laughs> is that you are the best team and that if you win a game, you're expected to win. I don't care if you're a five-point underdog, a four-point underdog. I don't care if the game's great. It's like, we're Alabama and we're good. When Penn State started rushing the fields, and I, I hated that because it's almost like saying, we're the underdog dogs every time no no no. you want to have the attitude that we're the best team we expect to win and so again i have a question about Notre Dame rush the field let's get to this game here this it is, was awesome i want to just put the rushing the field on okay, this game good. the rush the field on this game trevor lawrence has because of covid couldn't play the star player for clemson cannot play in the game all of clemson players follow protocol they follow where they can eat they don't go to parties they do all these things they're all required to do all these things and you just beat a team in a great amazing game because their star quarterback one of the reasons you play great too but their star player the guy who's going to be the number one pick in the nfl draft is not playing in the game because he had covid but he's standing on the sidelines if trevor lawrence wanted to run in the field and throw 100 yard passes he could he's healthy enough to play it's there's covid protocols that you had to follow that he couldn't play in the game and whether that's you lot you just beat a team in double overtime with a freshman quarterback who played amazing in a game he's gonna but be good. still he's going to be great but this was still I would you rather have that amazing performance or would you have the Trevor Lawrence in the game so you just beat him and then the fact when I criticize Notre Dame I criticize the ACC I criticize everything I possibly can criticize on this <laughs> is that Clemson had just lost and then you led 20,000 the kids, I don't even know. They didn't look like they had that many in the stands. I don't know how they could all come out. And you'll have over 10 or 15,000. They come on the field, and Clemson players can't get off the field. So now if the Clemson team gets COVID because all the players are around it, it's not fair. Like, if the Notre Dame players want to celebrate, and they want to get COVID, and they want to have to miss games, we talk about all these teams not being able to play. It's not fair to Clemson. Like, there should have been a... I, I I'm so upset that if that they did not let Clemson get off the field. Anytime, I think it's bad. But in the COVID issue, you saw the, the, the Clemson players still standing there for like five minutes because the, the tunnel was blocked for them off the field. Horrendous from Notre Dame. Just absolutely horrendous. I mean, and then the ACC goes, we're not going to find them. Find them? I'd almost suspend them a game. Like, it is so bad. Like, we're all mad about Justin Turner coming off the field exactly. because he had COVID after getting pictures when they just won the, the World Series with, with friends and family that they've been around. And we're not criticizing Notre Dame and the administration and the kids I'm not, I don't know if the kids it had not to have enough security. Like, you can't stop a few kids running on a field and you're Notre Dame. You're just a joke. Just an absolute joke. And the joke is the media not calling Notre Dame out for being a joke about that. No, I agree with you all wholeheartedly. And the, the Justin Turner thing really makes it look a lot worse, that there was so much flack for this. And now we've got thousands and thousands of fans. And like you said, it's really unfair. If, Clemson Clemson. Miss, if Clemson's players get COVID and they can't play their next game because the Notre Dame kids ran out there, is that fair? It, that's it's awful. not fair. And on the idea, that's what's so upsetting. Like, if you want to let Clemson off the field, let them go. But to have them stand on the field in front of 15,000 fans all around them, just disastrous. So we got just about five minutes left uh, here on Iron Sports. We'll talk about the game. Though. Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about the game because this was amazing. I was glued to my TV. Yeah, so Clemson had... 50 consecutive wins on Saturday. They only lose in national championship games. <laughs> they had 36 straight regular season wins, 28 straight ACC wins, and 14 consecutive road vi- victories. And the DJ, now we're going to call him, we decided to call him DJU. Yeah, DJU. DJU <laughs> is the star quarterback, or the was the number one high school quarterback in uh, last year. And so he comes to Clemson, and he's Trevor Lawrence's heir apparent. And he's probably, as some people say, 
they both could be competing for MVP awards, like we talk about Mahomes <laughs> in, in the NFL. And he did not disappoint. He played great. And it was like one of those games where, again, Clemson, when they lose, is sloppy. Now, on defense, one of the problems that Clemson has is they were missing four starters on defense. So they had a really advantage over Notre Dame in doing this. And, and the, But Notre Dame's defense played great. They stopped Travis Etienne, uh, who's the star Clemson running back, just could not have 28 yards rushing for the game, just could not get anything. I think Clemson out, I mean, Notre Dame outrushed them like 200 to like 40 in terms of yards. And that really was a, was a disastrous. But um, it was like, you know, even, but, you know, Notre Dame had that lead. It was 23 to 13. And it, but it was so exciting. At the end of the first half, you notice Notre Dame kicked the uh, field goal, almost like Alabama Auburn style. And at the end, got the ball and he almost rushed it back for a touchdown. That would have been so exciting for him to rush it back. But in the second half, I, you know, Clemson took that lead, uh, 23-23, and then I love how, the, you know, Irish had that guy, uh, Mike Meyer, who they call him Baby Gronk, and he, he was good at tight end. He played great, and, uh, but then they were able to drive down there. Clemson was able to make that score uh, 33-26 with three minutes left. And uh, but, you know, it was like then Notre Dame has the ball. This is sort of very much like the Steeler game because they came down and they had fourth and seven on the Clemson's 47. And Ian Book, who played the best game I've ever seen him play, he throws a Taranki, their, uh, their, I think, tight, their other tight end or wide receiver. And it was easy catch and he drops the ball. So now Clemson gets the ball. And that's where I think just Clemson just screwed up. Like they just that whole series was a mess. They punt. They go like and they Notre Dame use their timeouts, score one first down. Game's over. Notre Dame gets the ball in the nine yard line with 130 to go. And it was the pass. I mean, book through to Avery Davis, 53 yards down the field. You cannot give that pass no. up. And just letting, and then, but they got down, and then it was almost, it was near at the end. I mean, it was really almost no time left on the second and four and third and four from the four-yard line. And finally, book to Davis for the touchdown, 33-33. And then in overtime, you know, Clemson scored first, and Notre Dame matched. And then Notre Dame scored their touchdown. And Clemson, just the Notre Dame D was just on him. And the Notre, you know, Clemson was backpedaling the whole time and sacked DJU a, a couple of times. I mean, he had 39 for 44. Uh, uh, two touchdowns, no interceptions. So just did a, a great performance. Ian Book had 310 yards, and Kyron Williams for Notre Dame had uh, 140 yards. Uh, but it was like one of those games where just it was exciting back and forth. I think the reviews took too long. I mean, every seem, every play yeah. seemed to be a review. It takes the like I don't know. Like I love reviewing, getting it right, but there has to be if you can't decide, like you call it on the field, and if you can't make a decision within like 30 seconds, then the call on the field stands. I really think that's what got to be some because you just cannot keep stopping every play and have a review on every play. We are almost out of time, Ira. Let's talk about Miami and NC State here. Big win for Miami. You got to beat the teams on your schedule. I don't consider NC State that great. I don't know why this was as close as it was. But regardless, De'Ara King played like a superstar, and hopefully he continues this going forward. Yeah, only, only two, uh, I think six players have had in the last 10 years 500 yards of all, total offense and five touchdowns, and he's, he's done it now twice. He did yeah. for Houston. And they found a great wide receiver in Michael Harley. They had 620 yards of total offense, but they were down 41-31 start of fourth quarter. We were able to take that over. But they were missing 11 players, a lot of defensive players for COVID reasons. So that was a big win. Look, Miami's having this year that's a great year with only one loss and they've been able to, to handle the, the Clemson loss where you say what could affect them and where you see the wheels have totally fallen off of Florida State it's it's done well for Miami any other games you want to focus on here um, 
I think Liberty's win over Virginia Tech, amazing to have that at the end of the game. It was a crazy end where they kicked the field goal to win. Um, and I think Pitt destroying uh, Florida State 41-17 uh, was, was just crucial in terms of Florida State. You know, they, they got out to a 14-3 lead and then were outscored 38-3 the rest of the game. There has got to be something done with Florida State because they're 2-5 and five and, and just keep – and they look they, – they're losing terribly. How about uh, going to the SEC? We got to talk just briefly about Florida beating up on Georgia. You know, one of those games where Georgia took the lead 14 nothing, and then Florida, you know, like, you're not nervous if you're a Florida fan because their offense is so explosive. I mean, they look like Steve Spurrier. I mean, Spurrier should be back with his team because <laughs> Dan Mullen has this team rolling, and Trask was great again. Another great game in terms of even though, I mean, even though they had a pick six later, but they, they sort of just, just ran up there. I liked how... After down 14 nothing, they really held Georgia to nothing. I mean, that Georgia was able to uh, they, they do anything the rest of the game. And uh, it, it, just, it, was, it was one of those runaway-type games. Trask ended with 474 yards, four touchdowns, whereas Georgia's quarterback, Stetson Bennett, five for 16, one touchdown and one interception. Um, and then, you know, the other we mentioned about Texas A&M beating South Carolina 48-3. to uh, And then the weird game, again, Tennessee. You know, we talked about when they played Florida a couple of weeks yeah. ago. We we're like, oh, this is a game. This is going to be really important to them. And, uh, uh, but they have since they have just been a Georgia. They have been a mess. I mean, they've lost now four in a row. They were up thirteen nothing on Arkansas, and then they have twenty four points, and now they're two and four. And you're just wondering. They've started. They played three quarterbacks of the game. Like, when is Tennessee going to get their act together? I've been saying that uh, since nineteen ninety eight. So your guess is as good as mine. And this week, Bama is favored by. I, I looked at the line, and I might be wrong, but it says 25, 28 points. I mean, against LSU, that's crazy. Uh, that's crazy. Now the game might not go. We're questioning whether with COVID with LSU whether the game's going to go on. But that's always one, you know, the game of the year is usually Bama LSU. I was at, I was at the game last year, one of the greatest football games I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, just real quick, what happened with Penn State? Uh, they they showed up and played. Now, I, I last year I went to the game. They won fifty nine nothing. Over the last three years, they beat Maryland one hundred and sixty three to six. One hundred sixty three to six. And to his brother Talia Tagaloa played, and suddenly they lost thirty five nineteen. Penn State is a complete mess. They're zero and three, and 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 Maryland, who was just had no defense whatsoever, was giving up six hundred yards of two games. Penn State couldn't even run on them. Penn State couldn't pass, couldn't run, couldn't do anything. And this is the worst start that Penn State has in twenty years. Uh, what other games we got to talk about before we wrap it up? Um, I like, boy, Rutgers plays hard. And Ohio State with Justin Fields, we mentioned him. He's probably, in my mind, Mac Jones and him, 24 for Heisman Trophy, 24 for 28, five touchdowns over Rutgers. He's had uh, 11 incompletions and 11 t- touchdowns for the year. Michigan won in, Michigan lost Indiana 38-21. They hadn't lost since 1987. They were down 24-7. Michael Penix Jr. from Tampa played amazing. Everything is off. The wheels have totally come off on Michigan. We're talking about teams, Nebraska went to Penn State, Michigan, Tennessee, like these high-powered programs all struggling. We are out of time, though. I want to thank uh, our buddy Ken Kennerly of the Honda Classic for stopping by. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.